time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Hey, welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. You know, this is kind of neat. This marks the 70th, that's right, the 70th Vintage Truth Podcast. 70th. You know, it's also the 70th anniversary of the birth of Israel. And, you know, May 14th, 1948, by the way, May 14th is my birthday for all of you who, who did not send me a present. I'm just kidding. I wasn't born in 1948, though, so I'm not, not quite that ancient. But, uh, but here's the deal. Uh, some of you who are, who are that old doesn't mean you're ancient, okay? It just means that you're um, experienced in life. Let's put it that way, okay? So, but considering the fact that it is, it is the 70th anniversary of the birth of Israel, and um, it's a very significant date. In fact, I'm going to be speaking at a prophecy conference in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in the fall where I'll be speaking on this whole idea of this uh, incredible miracle called Israel. And, you know, it all began back in Genesis when God came to Abraham. And Genesis chapter 12 uh, tells us that God made a very special covenant with Abraham and with his descendants, i.e. Israel, and made a covenant with them as a nation, as a people group, okay? And some of those promises have yet to be fulfilled. Uh, but I wanted to, just to, to summarize those and, and then quickly to address the question, if God had a covenant relationship with Israel, does he have any sort of covenant relationship with other nations, with the rest of the nations of the world, with Gentile nations? I mean, does God have any sort of understanding, an agreement, you know, something written down anywhere, something that God says, okay, here's the deal. You do this, I'll do this. Does he have any of that with any of the other nations? So we'll talk about that in just a minute. But but let's talk about this uh, whole idea of the Abrahamic covenant that God made. And this is basically what happened. In Genesis chapter 12, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And so God promises them a, a land. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. When God says, I'm going to bless you, he, he really blesses you. Well, what does that mean? He says, I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed, Abram, through you. So what, is that, what does that look like? Well, I want to look at it several very important aspects of this promise, this covenant. Uh, that, that we all know is the Abrahamic covenant. Here's the first thing. First, it was a very specific promise. The covenant that God inaugurated here was to Abraham alone, not one of the human being on the planet or their descendants, only Abraham. Not Ishmael, not the Arabs, Abraham. And out of all the peoples on the earth, he chose this one man. And just like Noah, Abraham would be an instrument of God to the nations. However, unlike Noah's experience, prior to this revelation, Abraham had no experiential knowledge of Yahweh. And in fact, his, his, um, his father was a pagan. And so God's promise to Abraham was, by necessity, direct and definitive. He had, he had to be very clear in it, right? Because Abraham 
didn't have a Bible. He didn't walk with God before this time. And so in this, God itemized exactly what he wanted Abraham to do, as well as what he, God, intended to do for him. So this covenant that originally came in Genesis 12, God later confirmed it and ratified it in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. Now, unlike other promises and prophecies in Scripture, this revelation to Abraham was given progressively and repeatedly over time. It also included a geographical inheritance involving a land with specific boundaries. Therefore, this prophetic word became God's promissory note for what we what we call the promised land, right? So it was a very specific promise. Secondly, it was also an unconditional promise. Um, you know, in Abraham's day, <clears throat> you know, kind of like in ours, covenants or contracts require signatures from two parties in order for them to become legal and binding. In other words, like, for example, when I sign a book contract, like right now I've got a proposal out there about a new book, and uh, you can pray about that, that God would uh, just match me with the right publisher and that we would uh, get some interest in this, this um, incredible book. It's about Bible prophecy, by the way. But when I get a contract, I sign it, then the publisher signs it. Well, if I just sign it, it's no good. If the publisher just signs it, it's no good. Two parties have to sign the contract. However, curiously, the promise that God made with Abraham and his descendants would would break with this whole two-party tradition. Abraham had asked the Lord this question. He said, Lord, how am I going to know that I'll possess the land? And God replied by telling him to go get a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. I just love how bizarre God can be at times. And then God said he took the animals and, and God cut the animals into two halves. Then he put Abraham into a deep sleep and spoke to him in a vision. After this, a smoking oven and a flaming torch appeared, the Bible says. These were symbols of God's righteous presence. And then what happened is this. This is so cool. It says at that point, the oven and the torch passed through the middle between the two animal parts that God had cut, cut in half. And, and, of course, the custom of the day was that when two men agreed upon a covenant contract, they would split an animal in, in half, and then the, together they would walk between the parts, basically pledging that if either of them broke the agreement, the same bloody fate would def- befall them. In other words, it was a very serious thing to make a covenant. But here, only God walks through the two halves of the animal, signifying the fact that only God was binding himself to the promise by passing between the halves by himself. And that's why Genesis 15, 18 states, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. It wasn't that Abraham made a covenant with God. God made a covenant with Abraham. And in fact, the word, the verb translated make a covenant literally means to cut a covenant in Hebrew, referring to that bloody custom of securing agreements in that day with an animal. But Abraham was passive in the making of this covenant. So as God passed alone between the two animal parts, he was signifying the fact that it would be a covenant without conditions as to its ultimate fulfillment. In other words, it would depend upon God to fulfill the covenant, not upon Abraham. Abraham's part was just simply to believe. And even though in its its future generations, Israel would prove to be disobedient, their unfaithfulness did not nullify the unconditional nature of this particular covenant. Third, it was an everlasting promise. Years later, the Lord appeared to Abraham, and that's what he said. He was further confirming this. He says, 
in Genesis 17, he says, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I'll be their God. So you can spiritualize the word everlasting all you want to, but it means everlasting. I mean, it's in clear contrast to other literal promises God made uh, to Abraham. Uh, The promise to establish his covenant between God and him was literal. The promise to multiply him exceedingly through his descendants was literal. The covenant to make him a father of, of a multitude of nations was literal. So God didn't intend to give Abraham imaginary descendants, but actual ones. The land he promised was a physical land, and its boundaries were very precise. So every one of these guarantees from God to Abraham was literal in both their intent and their fulfillment. Therefore, the promise to possess that land would also be an everlasting literal promise. God later repeated this again, referring to it as an everlasting promise, covenant rather. And in the land, he said it was a gift for an everlasting possession. You say, well, Jeff, why, why are you talking about this? Well, why is this so important to go into that? Well, why, why dwell on ancient Jewish covenants here when talking about 21st century America and Christianity? Well, as believers living in the last days, listen, we have to understand that for 20 centuries, Abraham's seed or Israel has not possessed the land that God promised to them. But in recent history, something supernatural and prophetic has occurred. In the mid-20th century, Jews began flooding into the promised land. And due to the fact they became a nation on May 14, 1948, this prophecy is now being fulfilled and has been fulfilled before our very eyes. That's a literal fulfillment. And Jesus, I believe, will literally, literally reign on earth from Jerusalem during the millennial kingdom. So it's an everlasting promise. And then also fourth, it's also a rewarding promise. Because when God declared to Abraham, he would, he would bless those who bless you and the ones who curse who curses you, I will curse. He really meant it. He meant it literally. God doesn't just fill the air with words. He means what he says. And so God's divine protection for Abraham and his descendants was an integral part of his covenant with him. And so that involved rewarding nations if they treated Abraham and his descendants fairly, or alternatively, bringing judgment on them if they mistreated the patriarch and the nation that would eventually come from his seed. In fact, within the covenant itself, God prophesied judgment on Egypt for that country's future enslavement of the Jewish people. We see that in verses 13 and 14. And so it's been for all those who have treated the Jews harshly, not only in biblical times, but in modern times as well. I mean, think about the list of Israel's enemies and their oppressors. I mean, it reads like an obituary of empires. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Amalekites, the Amakites, the, excuse me, the, the Ammonites, the Philistines. Have you run into any Philistines lately? Seen any of those on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram? Do the Philistines have an Instagram account, by the way? No, they're extinct, all right? The Edomites, the Moabites, Rome. I mean, some of these kingdoms and, and peoples lost their dominance as world powers. Others were conquered by other nations, and others were wiped from the pages of history altogether. But the common denominator 
is that they mistreated the Jews. You can attempt to explain this any way you want to, but what a divine coincidence that they all share in common a mistreatment or oppression of the Jewish people. And the same will be said of those countries which come against Israel in the last days. Listen, there's so much more I, I could say about this. I mean, there, there's, there's an incredible quirk of history. I talk about in my book, The End of America, Bible Prophecy in a Country in Crisis. I talk about an incredible encounter between a man by the name of Eddie Jacobson and the President of the United States at that time, Harry Truman, and how their encounter led, helped lead to the birth of Israel. There's so many historical things that God has done. Well, let's move on. Fifth, this Abrahamic covenant was also a redemptive promise. So there's a final aspect of this covenant that God made with Abraham was that the Messiah would come from his lineage. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, how else could that happen other than the fact that the Messiah would come through Abraham? And we see this truth repeated throughout Scripture. I mean, it really is amazing because the original covenant contained a promise of salvation whose fulfillment would eventually reach to the whole world, including people, as Revelation 7, 9 tells us, people from every nation and all tribes and all peoples and tongues. It was a mighty covenant made by an almighty God. It was a promise God made to Abraham that was specific, unconditional, everlasting, rewarding, and redemptive. And it's all real. It's all right there in your Bible. Wow. Gosh, again, there's so much more we can say about this. But here's the deal. So Israel has these promises, but right now we're in a period called the times of the Gentiles where there's been a partial hardening that has come upon Israel. And once the church is removed, then God will turn his attention back to Israel in terms of, of bringing them back to himself. And you say, well, gosh, again, Jeff, what's what's the deal? Why, why are you saying all this? I mean, does it really make a difference? Well, yeah, it does. And here's why. Because right now God is dealing with the whole world, Jews and Gentiles. And he's being patient to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, so, so if God had a covenant relationship with Israel, does he have any sort of relationship with the rest of the world? I mean, what, what, what can we learn from all this stuff? Well, I mean, think about America for just a second. I mean, our country's beginnings, both colonial and governmental, were rooted in a strong biblical influence. So because of this, Americans, we have been a very fortunate people enjoying many incredible benefits afforded to us by such a founding. In other words, had we been founded on just pagan principles, then we'd just be like many of the other nations of the world. There, there would be just a preponderance of, of a multitude of, of faiths and in terms of our founding, and we would be really groundless in, in our moral uh, moorings and our foundations but because we were founded as a christianized nation then we've enjoyed certain benefits i mean even the the freedoms that we have are rooted in in what we believe rights that god has given to us uh, from scripture so so that even though this country was not founded as a theocracy or a church state um, because nations can't be christian only christian only people can be christians okay but nations can be founded upon Christian principles. 
And that's what America was founded upon. And I have a whole chapter talking about how firm a foundation and really where I completely rebuff uh, some of the modern day revisionist historians who say that America was, was only fa- founded by deists and, and not by uh, Christians. So, so we've learned that, you know, America is not the new Israel or anything, right? We're not the promised land. Israel is Israel. And the land God swore to Abraham is forever going to be located in the Middle East. It's not going to be in Canada or Mexico or Bolivia. So, so again, where does that leave us? Where does that leave America? Where does that leave the Philippines or England or South America, countries there or Nicaragua or Iceland or any of the other countries of the world? Well, I think there are four very, very important principles that apply to Gentile nations. In other words, God didn't say to Israel, I'm going to have a relationship with you guys and everybody else I really don't care about. I don't care that any other nations do anything right or wrong. I'm just going to let them have a pass because I'm not concerned with what they do. I'm just going to allow them to go their own way. No, not not at all. Because there are biblical principles that outline some of the understandings that God has concerning what he expects of other Gentile nations. Four principles. Let me talk about one of them, and then we'll cover the, um, uh, the, the other three uh, the, on the following uh, Tr- Vintage Truth podcast. Here's principle number one. God judges nations based upon their moral conscience and national character. Here's the deal. Noah's world rejected God. Before, before there was an Israel, they rejected God as creator and ruler. They pers- pursued violence and sexual depravity. As a result of this, God in his righteousness destroyed them. But it's not just entire civilizations he's dealt with in this way. He's also chosen to annihilate individual cities due to their abhorrent sin, as in Sodom and Gomorrah. His judgment has fallen upon nations as well. We think of Egypt and, and Babylon and Assyria. He's even brought illness and death to government officials whose arrogance kept them from acknowledging him. We see examples of this in in Daniel chapter 4, verses 28 through 37, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 23, with Nebuchadnezzar, with Herod. I mean, all the way down to government officials. Yeah, God cares about government officials, and they have a responsibility to him as well, right? I mean, it's It's amazing. That God doesn't say the rest of the world just gets a pass. But there are certain expectations, because, and here's why. Because Romans 1 tells us that every human being, and guess what? Human beings make up governments and government officials. Every human being understands that there is a God and that there is a basic morality. In other words, that there is a basic moral code that is written, the Bible says, in our conscience and upon our hearts. And we have that natural knowledge that God is. So we can't just say, oh, India, Pakistan, Russia. You know, we don't really expect much from you guys morally because, how you know, Christianity may not be a big deal in your country. So how could you possibly know, right? No, that's wrong. Because God declares that every human being has a moral code written within them. And that moral code is, is reflected in the basic morality that we see in the Old and New Testament of our Bible. And so, no, they do not get a pass. So principle number one, 
is that God judges nations based upon their moral conscience and their national character. That's part of the understanding that God has with Gentile nations. I'll cover the the next three principles of God's relationship with Gentile nations in the next Vintage Truth Podcast. And I can't wait to talk to you guys there. Hey, have a fantastic weekend. God bless you. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Truth Podcast. Please subscribe and share with a friend. For more about Jeff's ministry, go to jeffkinley.com.